Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical world view. My name is Bruce Johnson. I am joined today, as always, by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello everybody. And we are both, uh, as we were on Monday, in uh, the, the Johnson living room. Which is yeah. the official? Yeah. I guess that's what we're calling it. New set of the Reformed Dissenters. Yes, we can call it that. Uh, I wish it were the new set, but it's the set for this week. So yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So anywho, uh, we are very excited to have you joining us today. Today is Literature Wednesday, so we've got a ton of stuff to get to. We are actually wrapping up um our book this month which is christian nationalism by andrew torba and andrew isker and uh, you can see that book behind me up on the shelf um yeah up there up there um it's the only spot we had to actually put it on the set but it actually works so look at that um and yeah we're on chapter 10 and it was a doozy of a of a chapter but also i pulled in some quotes from um, doug wilson's book uh, mother kirk and a couple of other verses that I think are really fascinating to tie this whole thing together before we start our brand new book next week. So, very much looking forward to digging into all of that. Don't forget, though, everyone, you can check us out on a ton of different platforms. We're on a ton of different places. Go to our website, which is trdshow.net, and you'll find a list of links to all of the many places that we are. Um, you know, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, but if you hate communism and actually like free speech, you could also follow us on Gavin Getter because, you know, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube hate free speech and they've censored lots of our content. So if you want all of our content censorless uh, and censorship free, then please follow us on Gab TV, Rumble, follow us on Gab and Getter. Um, and all of those links are on our website, trdshow.net. Also send us an email. Um, trdshow at protonmail.com is the uh, place you can send your emails to. If you have thoughts about the show, questions, information you want to send our way, please just send us emails, trdshow at protonmail.com. We're not desperate or anything, but we just really want emails. Also, sign up for our newsletter, trdshow.net slash newsletter is where you can go to do that. So before we get into all the exciting stuff we have planned for today's literature episode and we start breaking down chapter 10 in Andrew Torba's book, Christian Nationalism, we have to talk about our verse of the week and it's Wednesday, so I'm going to pass it over to Jake to do just that. Alrighty, and our verse this week is found in Romans 1.20. Uh, it is one verse this week, whereas typical weeks we have two or three or multiples. But this is an actual verse of the week. But again, that's Romans 1.20, and it says, His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And this is uh, typically the quote that is used to speak against the people who claim God is unfair to the people who haven't heard God or haven't heard about God. Um, that um, the some tribe in Africa has never heard the name God, so how could, if they died, be sent to hell? Um, and really this verse is saying... No, they, they know God. They're without excuse because they have seen the things in the world. They have seen things been made. They, they should have perceived this was created by God. And, and so, and really, in, it goes deeper than that to where 
we're talking about the people who are in power, the people like Joe Biden, like all the other political people in power that fight against God. They know God. They are without excuse. They know what they're doing. They know the intentions of what they're doing. They know that what they're doing is to attack God. Hmm. Um, and I and I and think without excuse. Yeah, yeah. But so that is our verse this week. <laughs> so I will get back <laughs> for our literature episode. Yeah, um, yeah. We always joke that uh, current events is like Jake's favorite episode, and literature is like one of my favorite episodes. And um, I suppose we're certainly going to put that to the test this week um, because there was so much in here, and really. It sparked so many other ideas that I had on this topic that I pulled in just a ton of other stuff. So it's going to be one of those episodes where we just talk about a lot of different things, all pertaining to the same subject, but from a lot of different perspectives. Um, I'm really not perspectives, but sources rather, because it's all the same perspective, which is a biblical one. So the um, idea of this chapter is that Christ is going to be victorious. So, you know, we've talked historically, we've talked before on the show about um, how we believe in an optimistic future. We believe that we're not going to fail. We believe that Christ uh, has been victorious, was victorious on the cross, and will be victorious in overcoming this world. And so, to look at this world and think, oh, it's all crumbling and there's nothing we can do about it, and we just have to wait until it all falls apart so that Christ will come back, is utter insanity. And there's lots and lots of scripture to support that as well. And we've gone through that in previous episodes. But if you have questions about why we believe in an optimistic future and why we believe that we are living in the new heavens and the new earth today, then send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. We would love to answer those questions and send you more resources because, again, don't just take our word for it. Do the study for yourself. Research this yourself. Anyways, in this last chapter, chapter 10, um... There were a couple themes that I was picking up on. One, one of the biggest was that Christian nationalism is not about politics. It's not about politics. So many people can so frequently get sucked into that idea that Christian nationalism, oh, because they hear nationalism. This is why when Andrew Torba started out this book, he kind of started out by saying... He gave a definition. A definition yeah. for nationalism, Christian nationalism. It's not like regular nationalism. Right. It's not... And we did a clip a couple weeks ago about why maybe nationalism isn't the right term, maybe, for this. It's not the best term that could be used. I, I do have a different perspective in thinking that... Yeah. Um, we need... It, yes, that's the way the world perceives the term. Right. But we, need but we should change the term. the term. Yeah, and I think it comes down to a debate um, around whether or not we should change the term or just use a different term that people will actually understand. But anyways, the but whole... But if we have to keep, you know, we can just keep explaining what we mean. We can right. keep explaining the definition until people start thinking of that definition as the actual definition. Fair. Yeah. If that works. And let's see if it works, because <laughs> that's what we're doing. So, <laughs> so we're on that trade. So let's let's push forward. Um, <laughs> so, it's not about politics. So, nationalism is basically boils down to you just love the nation that you're in because it's the nation that you're in, and you tend to sort of worship that nation. Um, you put that nation above everything else, 
and it becomes an idol. So, and usually that boils out, um, boils down to it being, um, the ripple effect of that is that it's on a political level. It's a political scheme. But that's not what Christian nationalism is. On page 105, Andrew Torba said, the people who believe that the Christian nationalism movement is merely political are missing the bigger picture, end quote. And he's totally he's totally right about that. Um, if you were if you've been a longtime listener or watcher of the show, then you'll remember that we read through uh, Raymond Simmons' book, The Confessional County, back in February of, of this year, 2022. And in that, that book... That was just in February? That was just in February. Wow. Yeah, January and February. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. We've read a lot of books. We've read a lot. We have read a lot of books. <laughs> we've been through a lot of stuff. Um, and in that book, um, Raymond Simmons talked about what the confessional county looks like, which is, I think, a little bit more of a precise term for this, what we're talking about, really all of this is the kingdom of God. That's the overarching umbrella is the kingdom of God. And then we have little flavors of it, nuances and subcategories like, well, Christian nationalism or the confessional county or Christian culture, like we've been calling it, right? But all of it is essentially the kingdom of God. And so all of that, if you just think it's about politics, you're missing the point. You're missing the whole massive picture because the civil government is just one government amongst four other equally important government, three other equally important governments. Um, the individual, the family, and the church four total. are three. Yeah, the other yeah. three. Yeah. yeah. And there's four total. Exactly. Um, and so if you just think that it's all about the civil government, then you're completely missing the other three governments that are equally as important. Uh, and that's what and Andrew Torb is getting at here. Should be focused on um, from climbing up a ladder. We're not. Yeah. We're not on top of the ladder where we're focusing on the right. civil government right. and moving down. Yeah, it's impossible. Start at the start at the bottom rung before we yeah. can move up. And even meaning. if we did somehow take civil government for Christ, you can't do anything from there. You can't right. force Christianity. Right. Um, in the way that a lot of people think. Now, right. they can start to um, penalize sin or actual biblical crimes, not sin. There's a difference between crimes and sins. But they can start to penalize actual biblical sin or biblical crimes. There I go again. And <laughs> uh, provide restitution, right? Yeah. And actually have justice and stop trying to educate children and stop trying to feed the hungry. Into- but again, all of that is not possible if the lower population is not fixed first so sorry i cut you off so you were talking about the rungs the ladder yeah well that was basically that you need to you need to work on the individual before you can work on the family yeah because what is the family made up of it's made up of individuals Individuals. yeah what's the church made up of made up of it's made up of uh families yeah what's this what's the civil government made up of churches families and individuals and individuals yeah exactly Yep, precisely. So so that was my first theme that I was picking up on that I thought was really good. My, my second theme was the solution um, may not be what you think. So the solution, obviously, a solution means we have a problem, right? And I honestly hope that we don't have to keep reiterating the fact that we have a problem. If you're living in America today, and you don't think there's a problem, you've, you've got a problem. <laughs> um, very clearly, there is a lot wrong. Uh, But how do we fix that? How do we fix it so that the civil government is not educating and indoctrinating children? How do we fix it so that the church is not crawling on its hands and knees to the civil government for money or doing absolutely nothing in society? 
which is what caused the civil government to actually have to do things in the first place, to pick up the slack. How do we fix all of these sorts of issues? Well, the solution may not be what you think it is. On page 106, Andrew Torba says, we can and must reclaim the pulpit and break the spell that the enemy has over the American church. Our efforts are best spent reforming and rebuilding our own churches to take them back for the glory of God, end quote. So he's totally on point here. The problem is not all is not 100% with the civil government. It's not 100% with the family. It's not 100% with the individual um, or 100% with the church. But the church is the leading part of culture. The church is uh, the, the part of the ship that leads the rest of the ship. It's uh, the, the steering wheel of the ship. Um, and if we don't fix the church, then we're going to continue to have problems that will boil up in all sorts of different places. Well, but it still works in this instance where, like I was saying, you fix the individual, then the family, then the church. Because who is he talking to there? He's talking to someone who has a well-grounded family already. So he's fixed himself. Right. He's then fixed his family. Yep. So now Andrew Torba is now telling him, go fix the church. Right. You're, Andrew Torba is not going to tell a, a sinful man mm. who um, whose family life is destroyed to then go tell him, all right, now work on your pastor. Right, right, right. <laughs> He's telling the, the yeah. individual who has fixed himself and has his family in order. Yep. Yep. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you have to get all of those lower levels resolved before you can start to move up. Yep. Um, so I, I have a quote from Doug Wilson's book, Mother Kirk, uh, Essays on Church Life that I, I thought was really good and tied in really well here. Um, in that book, which we read on the show two months ago, it was the book before we started reading Christian Nationalism. Yep. Uh, it's so, so good. Uh, and what he goes over, what Doug Wilson goes over in that book is how to structure a church properly. So he looks at doctrine, looks at liturgy, looks at the music, looks at what's actually being taught in the pulpit. What um, are the people doing when they're not in the service, worship service, all of these sorts of things, how to structure a church properly. But he also talks about why it's so important that preachers are strong in what they're preaching and that a church is solidly grounded in scripture. So on page 223 in, um, in that book, Doug Wilson said, we should not marvel that men cannot restore and reform the church. How could they? We look to see if a man is asleep by looking to see if his eyes are closed. As we look to see if the church is asleep, we should do the same. The eyes of the church are the pulpit, and the eyes of the church are sightless, because the Lord has brought this spirit of moronic stupor upon us. The pulpit today is the central problem in the midst of that fin de siècle uh, disaster that we like to call our culture. With our indistinct mutterings, we have preached our way into a culture that we deserve, end quote. So... Again, what he's saying here, and I really like that last part with our indistinct mutterings, we've preached our way into a culture that we deserve. The, the, what's being taught in the pulpit and, and where the church is going, where the people in the church are going spiritually, if they're not growing, the culture is going to be downstream of that. Just like how politics is downstream of the family, the individual, and the church, well, the church is downstream of the preacher and the people in the congregation. Um, and then ultimately culture is affected by that because if the church is not preaching 
on a biblical view of children, that children are in the covenant, they're to be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, they're holy, they're set apart, they're important. If a generational covenantal succession of children is not preached in the church, then we're going to lose the next generation, which is what's happening today. We see older children, if they don't have a uh, if they have the option to stay or leave, we'll choose to leave almost every time. We're seeing rapid declines in the next generation staying in the church, even though they might have been raised in it. Why? Because the pastors refuse to preach on homeschooling and Christian education from the pulpit. And so we get cultural demise because the next generation doesn't go to church, doesn't learn how to govern their lives according to the word of God, and the culture collapses. That's what we're seeing today. Um, and it's a huge, huge problem. So before I move on to my, I have two more topics, two more themes I want to get to. I want to talk about how this won't happen overnight. It's a gradual thing. And then I want to talk about to Christ belongs the victory. But before I get to that, was there anything you wanted to add, Jake, about, you know, the church and how it's leading culture and what it should be doing in terms of, of leading culture? No, not really. I think you, you touched on all the points that I, okay. would, I would say. All the major um, stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So... We get there's a problem. We understand that the church is very culpable and plays a major role in remedying that problem. And we realize that part of it is uh, a large part of solving the problem is fixing the church and ensuring that the church is not simply preaching the milk of the word, but the meat of the word. And it's preaching the whole counsel of God. It's not giving you a basic limited gospel message that just says, you're a sinner. Christ died for your sins. You won the lottery. Happy day, uh, party emojis, see you next week, which is what most churches are doing today. I mean, there's been so many churches that Jacob and I, our family, has left so many churches. We became a member. Oh, goodness, their preaching is miserable. It's just a limited gospel message every stinking Sunday. We move on to the next church, and the same thing happens. Church after church after church after church, we can speak from personal experience that most of the churches in America are doing this. Now, obviously we haven't been to most of the churches in America, but we have a lot of connections across America and they're all saying the same thing. Yeah, That's why, and it makes perfect sense given what we just talked about, that our culture is collapsing because that's what the church is doing. The church is not preaching all of Christ for all of life. So we need to fix that. We know the church needs to be reformed to fix that, but also we can't expect this to happen overnight. This will take time. I want to read a passage from Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 verses uh, 30 through 34. And this is Christ when asked about the kingdom of God, which is really what we're talking about at the end of the day. We're talking here about the kingdom of God. Christ was asked, um, what what can we compare the, the kingdom of God to? What What is the kingdom of God like? What, what is this? Because it's spiritual, but it's also physical. Or it's not of the world, but it also transforms the world. People were starting to get a little confused. It's like, oh, you're speaking in riddles. What does this mean? And how do we start working for this kingdom? So Christ here in, in Mark chapter 4, verses 30 through 34 says, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? And then he gives the parable. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And again, that's Mark 4, 30 through 34. So, the kingdom of God is gradual. It starts out 
small as a tiny itty bitty mustard seed and grows into this massive tree that mm. birds can then make. It's strong enough to hold birds in their nests and all sorts of things up in the in the branches and in the leaves. So it turns into this massive tree out of this itty bitty little seed. But um, that doesn't happen overnight. Like a Doug, massive tree doesn't grow out of the ground just just like that. Yeah, Doug Wilson was talking about it in a um, in a lecture about how God's kingdom, God does not bring about the kingdom like an airstrike. It's not planes fly over, boom, it's here. Yeah. It's it's more like yeast. Hmm. Yeast in bread. It rises. slowly builds and slowly rises and then you turn back to look at it and it's there. <laughs> um, because it happens so gradually, so slowly, you don't even realize that it's growing it's yes almost so the same the same way that the that the left and every like the evil nest in our culture has been able to propagate because they know tactics and as christians we need to know those same tactics and it, it's sort of the same because um they kind of had the tactic of the the fog in the boiling pot of water mm. they slowly slowly, slowly they got that slowly, analogy yeah yeah, they understood that, whereas Christians don't. Yep. Um, and we need to understand it in order to bring the culture back. Yeah. And um, Doug Wilson was also talking about patience. Hmm. Um, how how much God is patient with us is how much we should be patient with the culture. Hmm. Being willing to, you know, continually slowly growing because it, it is a very slow process. Yeah. Yep. Yep, exactly. Um and Andrew Torba backs up this theme. Obviously, that's where I'm deriving it from, this whole theme. But uh, he backs this up on page 107 and says, We must be prepared to wage a multi-generational spiritual war against the demonic anti-Christian worldviews that are dominating our culture and Western society. End quote. So, this is not something that we're going to do in our generation or even the next generation. This is multi-generational. And we have to be ready and prepared for that fight, which means we can't go around believing that the world is going to burn up tomorrow. We can't go around thinking that, oh, Christ might come back tomorrow and all of this is going to, you know, go to flame. And so we really shouldn't do much because, hey, it's not worth much in the future. I find it interesting, um, the, um, the verse, and it, this may not be a direct correlation, I just... Just my random, random thoughts, thoughts with Jacob during, Johnson. Yeah, during uh, the church service yesterday. Hmm. Not yesterday. What, today's Wednesday? <laughs> A while ago. Um, but uh, um, what he was talking about was a passage in Romans. Um, but first of all, you go back to the verse that says, Christ will come like a thief in the night. Um, and then another verse that was also talking about, the night is over. The day has come. <laughs> the night is over. Yes. We, we are in the day now. Yes. Um, yes. It, again, not a direct correlation, but, you know. Christ kinda... has bound the strong man. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, next quote, uh, page 108, Andrew Torba said, Change will not happen overnight, but over generations. Our victory is inevitable if we plan, build, and play the long game. Our victory is inevitable because the war has already been won on the cross. And again, uh, that was on page 108 from Andrew Torba's book, Christian Nationalism, which we're wrapping up very shortly, unfortunately. All right. So um, I think kind of to wrap up this theme of it won't happen overnight. This is something that 
we need to be prepared for um, to play the long game. We need to not panic that, oh no, it's not happening tomorrow. Right. Um, great verse for this is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. Um, and this passage says, but when Christ had offered for all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time. Those who are being sanctified. And again, that was Hebrews 10, 12 through 14. So this is a really important passage because Christ is reigning. This verse is showing us this and so many other verses are showing Christ is on the throne at the right hand of God reigning and he's waiting until his enemies are being made a footstool for his feet. Um, and again, that's, you know, Psalms 110.1, which a lot of people say is God's favorite Bible verse mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's quoted all throughout the Bible. Like so many times, Psalm 110.1 is quoted. New Testament, Old Testament, and it it's quoted... And it's talking about the victory of Christ. It's not talking about a pessimistic future. It's talking about Christ will be victorious. And he's being victorious right now. He's working in this world right now. Christ has been victorious. Was victorious on the cross and will be. Yeah. yeah. That's the uh, already not yet yes. uh, ideology. Yeah. 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 Which is can be mind-bending sometimes. But, right. Right. but it's totally true. And when we're going out into culture, we can't be thinking, oh, we have to... We have to win this for Christ. No, Christ has already won. Yeah. We're just claiming it. Yes, claiming it. Reclaiming culture for Christ. Yep, absolutely. So, that brings us to our final point of the day, which is to Christ belongs the victory. Oh, I just segued right into that. You did. Yeah. You really did. Oh. <laughs> yes. That was not intentional. Oh, look at that. We are just segueing now without even thinking about it. I love it. Been doing this for so long. That we're just, <laughs> We've um, been doing it for a year. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, on page 109, Andrew Torba said, do not despair. Do not be demoralized. Do not let down your guard. Do not stop building. Do not speak. Uh, do not stop speaking the truth boldly. No amount of their subversion, propaganda, and demoralization will stop us or shake our faith in the most high King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. To him be the honor and glory and power forever. Amen. So I was just like, dang, that's a good way to end that chapter and <laughs> the book really. Um, and it's, it's totally spot on. So We'll wrap up with a verse and then we might end just a smidge early today. Like, just. We're right there. It's... Yeah, we're right there. We're right we'll there. actually end at 30 minutes this time. Look at that. How about that? We're not actually <laughs> going to go over. Sweet. Um, so, I, I really, as soon as I read that, I immediately thought of Daniel chapter 7 because it is a fantastic verse to, to bring out this same theme. Um, Daniel chapter 7 says, And to him, meaning Christ, was given dominion and glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. And again, that's Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. So you read that, and, and it says uh, his kingdom is being destroyed, and it's going to go up in flames, and there's no hope, right? That's... Yeah. Is that what you, is that what you, oh, no? no, yeah, I, I, I didn't get that <laughs> from that verse. <laughs> so there is hope. 
To the people who have a pessimistic mindset, when they read this verse, they must really have to You gotta do a this. lot of twists. Yes. Yeah. You really have to contort this verse to make it pessimistic. <laughs> All people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. It doesn't get clearer than that. Yeah. I just don't know sometimes how they could have made it clear. Anyways, anything you want to add before we wrap up? Um, just that this is talking about that it will never, it will never be destroyed. Mm. Um, that even when it seems like um, the last Christian has died or, you know, whatever, <laughs> it's never going to be destroyed. Christ will always, he will, ha he will use the rocks and the trees at that point. Yep. Um, and something um, our brother Wesley likes to say a lot is... Um, brother Wesley. Now, I, I don't know if Wesley came up with this or if someone else came up with this and he's just parroting it. But um, it's God will use in the rocks and trees, but we need to sharpen the rocks and the trees to make spears. <laughs> so we take... The, we don't stay in the rocks and the trees. We build from it. Yeah. We take the rocks and the trees. We take Trump. God has given us Trump. <laughs> Either, either we take it from where Trump has brought it, like given us more. Yeah, clarity. he helped a bit. He got yeah, us the. He has. He's given us more clarity. Yeah, yes. What's going on? Yeah. So now we we step up. Yep. Or we take those Don't be people. Content. We take those people that are doing this. We're using the rocks and the trees, and we're taking them and we're shaping them. Yeah. We're saying, all right, yes, you're you. For some reason, you have the right idea here. Now let's give you the perspective so yep. for that idea. Yep. Yeah. Um. Spot on. Sweet. And with that, thank you all so, so much for watching or listening to us today. Don't forget, check out our show website, trdshow.net. Um, we got all sorts of cool stuff on there. Definitely check it out. Send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you. And we really mean that. We really want to hear from you. And uh, thanks so much for watching and listening. And we will see you on our special Friday episode where we discuss really recapping our whole series on building a Christian culture. And we answer the question or at least attempt to answer the question, what is Christian culture? And remember, everyone, in all you do, do it as unto the Lord. Amen.